You guys can be seated. Hey, I just want to say thanks to you guys. Spend a couple minutes um, sharing that with you. Yesterday, we celebrated uh, 20 years of ministry at Rich Fork, which is awesome um, for our family. And uh, it was really a joy for us to celebrate um, as a family uh, because my children have never known anywhere but Rich Fork, which is a rarity for preacher kids to, uh, to grow up in one church and to um, just be nourished and nurtured in, in one church. So we want to thank you for that um, and loving us and caring for us. But also, I've said this in all three services, um, and, and this service I have the privilege of saying this in front of my family. Um, I want to thank my kids and my wife for their sacrifices that they give to allow me to serve in the role that I serve as your pastor um, because they give up a lot of time. They give up a lot of um, homes where nights where dad's not at home and things like that. So I just want to say thanks to my kids. I don't know where you guys all are. There's one, there's two, there's three. Where's four? There's four. She's not even paying attention to me right now. So typical <laughs> preacher's kid, right? And uh, so, no, I just want to say thanks to them and thanks to Emily um, because this we do view ministry as family. And uh, it has been an incredible journey to serve as your pastor for these 20 years. Not all of those as a pastor, but we look forward to what God has in store for us. Um, I, I remember January of 1998, we went, uh, I went to my first, one of my first East Davidson basketball games. And uh, right, at the, right before halftime, one of the students from Rich Fork, he came to me and he said, Hey, pastor, you got to come outside and, and see something. I was like, all right. So I, I, I walk out of the gym, and I walk up. Now, I grew up in the city, okay? Nobody hunted in the city. And, and I walk out, and here's this pickup truck, and there's a deer in the back. And he said, I got my first one of the season. Yeah. I had no idea what I was supposed to do, like hoop and holler. Or, and I really thought to myself, Lord, what? where have you brought us? Like, are you sure this is a fit here? I'm not sure this is going to work. And uh, I can say that over uh, the years that God has showed us that he has moved us. And where he's moved us is to a community of believers that love each other. He's placed us in a, in a body of believers that as much as we love you, God, you guys have poured out your love for us. Families who desire to know God's word, to grow in his word. There are some Sundays where I feel when I get done preaching, not because you're wanting more of my words, but you're just wanting more of the word, and you're pulling for that, and you're seeking that, um, and that's a rarity um, for, for pastors to be able to say that, and so I just want to thank you guys. You've extended grace to us on so many ways, so many levels. Um, we've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I'm going to make some more, um, and uh, thank you ahead of time for the grace that you'll extend to me then. Uh, but thank you for the spiritual guidance that you've offered to us. There's been times where you as a church have surrounded our family in times of sickness and times of difficulty, and you have shown your love for us in magnificent ways. And we just, we just say thank you to you. Uh, it is a privilege to serve here. Um, we look forward to what God has in store for us. But I, I want to use Paul's words to the church of Philippi to thank you because I think what he says summarizes my heart for you, and he says this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right, I love this, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of with me of grace, both in the imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Rich Fork, when it comes down to it, 
we're, we're a lot of folks with a lot of different backgrounds that God brings together on Sundays and different days of the week to worship, to grow. Uh, but I believe the greatest thing that we have in common is we are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are partners in, in pouring our lives into growing more confident in who we are in Christ, growing in our daily walk with Him. And, and we just want to thank you for allowing us to serve here. All right? So we're gonna, I'm going to pray again, and we're going to jump into our teaching for today out of Second Chronicles. God, thank you. Uh, it is a privilege um, to serve in this place. God, thank you for a congregation that desires to, to know you, to love you, to serve you, and does so so well. God, thank you for allowing uh, this place to be a place where we as a family have grown numerically, spiritually. Uh, God, and we just look forward to years ahead that you, uh, you open up the doors for us as we go. God, again, thank you. And we just honor you um, out of thankfulness of blessing us and giving us the opportunity to serve you in this capacity. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before we get to Second Chronicles 14, I want to take you back. Um, this is, you know, uh, five, 600 B.C. I want to take you back to 1952 A.D., all right? 1952 uh, in the winter uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, late January, Washington, D.C., 1952, there was a 10-year-old little boy, an 8-year-old little girl, brother and sister, who did not have a mom and dad that went to church, didn't have a dad that was pretty much in the picture at all, but mom would take them to this little church uh, there in Washington, D.C., and drop off this 10-year-old and 8-year-old with the Sunday school teacher, and they would stay for Sunday school, and they would stay for worship, and the mom would come and pick them back up. Well, one Sunday, the Sunday school teacher said to the class, she said, would any of you like to go hear this new evangelist come preach in Washington, D.C.? His name is Billy Graham. And so the 10-year-old and 8-year-old, man, they're just looking to get out of the house, right? They didn't have no means, and the teacher said, I'll take care of it. So that, later that week, they showed up, and they uh, traveled with the Sunday school teacher by streetcar, all right? A little bit different than what you would travel with now in Washington, D.C. And they traveled by streetcar, and they walked into a revival meeting um, in, in, in Washington, D.C., and they heard a young man by the name of Billy Graham preach. And on a wintry night in 1952, a 10-year-old little boy by the name of Richard Bowers, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and committed his life to Jesus Christ. That little boy was and is my dad. And so this week, as you can imagine, with Billy Graham passing, has been a week of some, some really interesting emotions for my dad, uh, for us as a family, for me to think through. And I'm so thankful that, that my dad went to that. I, I, honestly, I thought he came to Christ a little bit later in life and as we were talking this week. But as I was thinking through this week, I, I was also thinking through the life of Billy Graham. And uh, I went back and I was doing some reading and somebody asked him one time, they said, how many messages do you have? And he said, I have but one. And this is what he said. I have one message that Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross, he rose again, and he asked us to repent of our sins and receive him by faith as Lord and Savior. And if we do, we have forgiveness of all of our sins. That's not a Billy Graham original, by the way. That's biblical. Billy Graham wasn't the first one to proclaim that. There were revivalists and evangelists and great awakening pastors who preached that same gospel years before him. In fact, we can jump all the way back into the New Testament, the launching of that message going out into the world. Peter and John, some of the, the, the very first mouthpieces of the early church. 
The very first mouthpieces of the early church, they're going around, they're telling everybody about Jesus and miracles are happening. And some of the local people said, hey, we got to silence these guys. And they said to them, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When I, as I was wrestling through this week and I was thinking through this week, this, this heart of repentance and of forgiveness, it's the message that Jesus taught. It's the message that John the Baptist taught in foretelling of Jesus coming. He says, repent and be baptized. Seek forgiveness of your sins. So as I thought about Billy Graham's passing and a lot of ways how it impacts us, I had some of the questions that I've seen posted online that I've seen posted in the media. I was asking some of these questions Wednesday. Who will be the voice of this generation? Who's going to be the voice to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly, very profoundly, yet simply? Who's going to give godly counsel to presidents without playing on one side of the aisle or the other, but relying on the truth of God's word? Who's going to stand and, and preach and teach with integrity to multitudes? Who's going to make sacrifices to share that message? And then Thursday, I was driving in and just had this moment where I thought, I'm still asking those questions. And I realized it's not a question of what individual is going to be called to do those things. It is a question of, will the church be obedient to do what it's already called to do? Will each of us, instead of looking for the next Billy Graham, will we instead look in the mirror and realize we've been given the same calling, the same empowerment, the same giftedness as an incredible communicator. We've been given relationships to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ with obedience to his word in our everyday lives. We don't have to look any further but in the mirror. But will we be obedient? Will we look at something like this week and say, God, will you instill in us, will you use this week and this great loss that we've experienced, will you challenge us through that to look into the mirror and say, God, you've called me as a follower of Jesus to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ with obedience. Will I follow through? Because I looked, and when I read Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, it was not given to one person. And when I go back and I read of the early church, it was several voices that began and continued to spread. And those men and those women began to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the corners of the earth. And they weren't walking around looking for one person to do it. They were called by God to do so. And they lived in a generation, and we live in a generation, where we are asking ourselves culturally, how do we begin to exist? How do we begin to impact this culture? How are we, who's going to step up? What are we going to do? This week in our prayer guide, we, if you grab one of those, we only had 250 of those. They disappeared really quickly, which is awesome. I hope you're using them. But in our prayer guide this week, we've been listening to and we've been reading the story of a king by the name of Asa. Now, Asa, uh, well, his father was Abijah. And Abijah was a man who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He set up, and so did the father before him. They set up monuments and idols and false idols to worship inside the temple and inside the places of God. So that the, as the nations began to kind of become this melting pot, they took a little bit of this religion and brought it in, a little bit of this religion and this type of worship, and they brought them all in together. And so they were worshiping all these things. And, and Asa, this new king that we're going to read about, 
makes some radical moves early in his reign as king. And I want us to look at those this morning, and I want us to use those this morning as a challenge to us in the middle of this week. And at the end of the service, contrary or not contrary, different than what we've done in the first two services, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the calling that Asa gave to his people that I believe is the same calling for us. And here's what Scripture tells us about this young king. He says, Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. His father passed away. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the, of his, the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars, the high places, broke down the pillars, and cut down the Asherim. Now, that's not something we talk about in our churches today. They cut down the Asherim, all right? These are Canaanite gods. They built altars to and placed those in various places. And he is going through and he is cleaning house. But listen to what verse 2 tells us about this young king, this new king. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Those are not the same thing. Good here is referring to his character of him as an individual. He is a person of integrity, a person of high standards, of high morals. He is doing what is good by the character. And then it says he is doing what is right This is his actions. So he's of good character and he's of good action in the eyes of the Lord his God. So Asa was a person that stepped into this kingship and began moving things around, began cleansing the land of the things that were in objection to God. He did what was good. He had character. He did what was right. He took action. In our current climate, in our world, We are watching spiritual leaders, political leaders, falling by the wayside of moral failures as quick as they can rise. We're listening to the watering down of Scripture taking place all over our country, the failing to recognize, to confess sin. But we will be ineffective in our calling to reach the world with the good news of Jesus if the good news of Jesus has not impacted our private lives. Let me say it this way. We cannot expect the power of God to change our community if the power of God has not changed our character and our convictions. We cannot expect and say, God, move in our country, but you haven't moved in me. God, would you, would you take away these evils, but I'm still dealing with them on the inside? Would you work nationally, but I'm just going to ask you to leave me alone? No, we cannot expect God to do this radical movement in our country if the same power of God has not changed your character and your convictions. And this is what had happened to Asa early in his kingship. He was a man of character. He was a man of right action. And before a nation can be turned back to the Lord, the nation must be turned back to the individual hearts. And that is me, and that is you. And that's what he's calling this group of people to. Now listen, I can get so fired up. We could, well, we could have a war in here today. All right, here's what we could do. We could get everybody to get their phones out and pull out your source of news, and we could have arguments over who's reporting what and which side of the aisle you preach on, teach on, and we could just have a knockdown drag out in here, couldn't we? You're like, please don't do that. And we can point fingers at various politicians, which you have agreement with and disagreement with for great reasons. 
You could send a fiery email to your pastor. If you don't normally attend here, you're somewhere else. Or you do, you send here. We, we can do all these complaints. We can point fingers. Or we can take the harder route. We can examine our character and our actions and ask God, would you reveal any sin, any hindrance, any attitude, any action which may be causing others to be hindered from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life that's impacting theirs? That's a lot harder. That's a lot harder. It's a lot easier to yell and holler about folks that you'll never meet that show up on the news. It's much harder to say, God, would you help me to be a person who's good and right? Good in character and right in my actions? Would you help me to no longer point the finger at other folks and point it back to me and say, God, would you reveal to me any convictions, any hindrances, any actions, any attitudes which are causing others to sin, that are keeping me from being fully devoted to you, that are hindering me in communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ? And in doing that, we need to pray for God to purify our hearts and our minds. These scriptures that I listed this morning, I won't read those to you this morning. They're in your worship guide. They're on the screen, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Proverbs 4, 23, 24, John 14, 26. These scriptures will lead you, as will others, to confess your sins and will guide you to the promises of God's word. And let me just give you a kind of a mind bomb here this morning. If you will open God's word and take your character and your sinful actions and you confess those to the Lord, you'll open the pages of God's word and you'll realize something. You're not the first person in the world to be impatient. You're not the first person in the world to be unfaithful. You're not the first person in the world to deal with greed and pride and anger and jealousy. You'll see countless individuals who have come to a holy God and confessed of their sin and seen a faithful God forgive them of their sins. If we'll say, God, would you purify my heart, purify my soul, purify my mind. But the other thing that we see as an action step, somebody that was doing something good and right, we see Asa do something he revealed and he got rid of idols. I think one of the things we've got to do is pray for God to reveal any idols preventing us from worshiping him with our whole hearts. Now, when we think of idols today, you don't think of idols in the same way as you might think of somebody in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, I mean, Moses is up on the mountain hearing a word from the Lord and all the people at the bottom are throwing all their gold into a fire and they're making a golden calf that they can worship while he's gone. There's other examples in the Old Testament of a physical God, an idol, being built for the people to worship. And I know some of you are thinking, well, man, I don't have one of those. That's awesome. I don't have one. I got a television. How about you? And there are some things that come across those screens that become idols. I love what Alvin Reed said, loved and don't like all in the same breath, what Alvin Reed said two Sunday nights ago about idols. He said, if a team or a person or anything takes more time in my week than my time with Jesus, it is an idol. That hurts. But I've been here 20 years, so I guess we can say it, right? The reality is we have subtly replaced the idea of a giant 
gold or wood idol that we would see depicted in the Old Testament. And we have subtly allowed idols to creep into our lives that we would not even acknowledge have crept into the place of worship of God. And we've got to ask God, God, would you reveal to me any idols, any person, any object, any habit, any way that I'm spending my time and resources that are placing that thing, that person in front of you? He said, he's going to do what is good and what is right. And what was good and what was right is character and action. And that action was, let's get rid of the idols. Let's tear these things out. Let's remove them. Let's clean house. Because here's what I know. We cannot depend, and it's awesome. After the Super Bowl this year, one of the athletes stood up and made a very vocal statement about who Jesus Christ is, and that's incredible. But church, listen, we can't depend upon him to bring repentance to our country. That's not his call. Sorry about the chair. I'm so sorry about the chair over here. We need to repent for buying these chairs 20 years ago. Jeez. And listen, God gives me the opportunity every Sunday to preach three times, 30, 35 minutes, 40 minutes to you guys. I'm not naive to think that that 35, 40 minutes just with you is going to be everything that you need to bring you to repentance and radically change every relationship and every fault and every sin in your life. No, it's going to rely on us as individuals, not depending on a superstar to change our country, but it's us as individuals doing what is good and right. And what is good and right is good in character and right in action, which will lead us to get rid of some things in our lives and replace them with others through the presence and the power of God. And some of you are doing this. Some of you are doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. I'm watching some of you as single parents. You are making some decisions in your parenting to say, you know what? I, my first priority is not finding another mate. My first priority is guiding my children to love and to follow the teachings of God's word. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to dig in. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be searching something else. I'm going to find and do what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And that will change our community. That will change your family. I'll tell you what's something good and right that some of you in this congregation have been doing that some of you don't even know is going on. I got a, an email through somebody here at our church this week that DSS in Davidson County is in need of more foster families. That's awesome. They reached out. The county government is reaching out to the body of Christ asking for help. And it's not simply because we're a large pool of people. It's because they have had folks from Rich Fork come through their doors before, and they have become some of the best foster families and adoptive families that there are to offer. Why? Because some of you are doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord, and you're taking the hand of one of 150 children in our county that are always on the list, that are looking for somebody to love them, and you're showing them Jesus. And they need more. And the government saying, church, send us workers who will do what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Do you see that the government's saying, hey, we're opening the door for you to bring your faith and your relationship with him into these relationships. It's hard work. It's painful work. It's difficult work. It's emotional work. But you're doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. I could go on and on. But the last time I checked, 
The body of Christ is not made up of one spokesperson to preach the good news to a generation. It is made of hundreds of people with various gifts and various abilities and various relationships who are called to preach and to teach in their neighborhoods and their relationships with their voices. And that's you and that's me. But we cannot expect the power of God to change our community if the power of God has not changed our character and our conviction. Second Chronicles goes on to say in verse 4, we continue to see how this happened in this culture. And he commanded Judah, Judah is not referring to a person but a group of people, to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out all the cities of Judah, the high places, and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord God gave him peace. He cleaned house. And what does it say that he did? He sought the Lord, called the people, seek the Lord, follow his commands. Seek the Lord, follow his commands. And if you're fading away and you're thinking about something else right now, let me just kind of refocus you this morning. Listen, we will only be as effective in shaping our community as we are committed to the authority of God's word in our lives. As a congregation and as individuals, we will only remain effective in reaching this community with the message of Christ coming and dying for our sinfulness and sharing that hope with other people. We will only remain effective in that as long as we are committed to the authority of God's word in our leading our lives. Asa was not a motivational speaker. Listen to what he said. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord. No, he suggested. I don't know what's your verse. Mine says suggested or he prompted. No, it says he commanded. He stood over them as king and said, you will seek the Lord. This is what we are going to do as a people. And I hope 20 years in, it's given me permission to say to you as a congregation, we will seek the Lord. And we will collectively and individual pursue the commands of his word so that we can remain effective in reaching and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This week, I hopped on Facebook on my wife's account for a few minutes. And uh, not her page, but, man, that place is weird. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it, all right? Facebook is one of the strangest things ever, ever invented. Uh, I'm quoting Bob James one more time on this. It is the modern-day bathroom wall perfect analogy, all right? Think about that for a while. Some of you are like in the 80s, you'll, you'll remember, you'll know exactly what he's talking about, right? But I read this on two or three pages. It might have been one of yours. I really don't remember, but here's what it said. In essence, it said something like this. It said, fill this survey in for me, forward it to three people, and God will bless you and me. Now y'all are laughing, but y'all are forwarding it around. <laughs> Somebody is. And I read that and I tragically think there are believers in this world that are really buying in that if I can get someone randomly to post a couple things about me that later on somebody can hack into and use for confidential information at another time, 
different discussion. But if I can get somebody to fill this information out and forward to a few random people, then God is going to bless me. Let me just tell you, God is not a genie in a bottle for you to rub at just the right moment for him to do what you would have him to do. Asa says, if we want the Lord on our side, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to seek the Lord and we're going to have to follow his commands. We're going to have to seek the Lord and follow his commands. It's not a Facebook post. It's not a how many likes. Mark Zuckerberg invented Facebook, all right? Not our Heavenly Father, all right? It was there for the taking. And if we want to know and experience the promises and the blessings according to God's word, then Scripture tells us time and time again how to do it. Seek the Lord, follow his commands. It's not a trick. It's not a quick fix. It is a biblical command that we see in Asa's life, that we see in the Old Testament and other locations and all throughout the New Testament. If you want to know the ways of God better, seek Him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might, and follow His commands. God is not amused. He is saddened that there are those that are followers of Jesus that believe that a Facebook post draws them closer to them. I believe it breaks his heart when he's outlined for us over and over. You do what is good in character. You do what is right in action. You seek me with all of your heart and you pursue my commands and I'll take care of the rest. God's commandments and instructions, make sure we're clear on this and we're in unison on this. God's commandments and instructions are given to offer us protection and promise, not punishment. Is there punishment in there? Absolutely, for the consequence of our sin and breaking those commands. But by and large, he's given us his word to say, hey, here's your promises, here's your protection. Live inside of these guardrails and I've got some things for you to accomplish and I've got some things for you to do. It's not always gonna be easy, but I will be there for you if you will do what is good, if you will do do what is right. If you will seek after me and follow my commands, I'll take care of the rest. And early on in his kingdom, Asa had this figured out. And this week, I've heard numerous people say to me and say on social media and say on whatever news channel that you listen to or I listen to, we need a revival in this country. And I would not deny that truth. But I'd like to peel it back a little bit further and say we need a revival in our individual hearts. If we want to see God move in mighty ways across our country, then let's let him move in mighty ways in our hearts. Let's do the right thing. Let's take the right action. Let's seek after the Lord and let's follow his commands. And then let us see how we can be used by his power for his glory. 20 years in, we're going to start to preach now, right? And here's what's going to happen. It's going to cause that some of your attitudes and your actions and your worship and your friendships, some of those are going to need to change. It's going to lead you into some mended relationships that have been broken. It's going to bring healing in some places that have been great wounds before. It's going to bring some conviction of some habits and some things that you've been doing. And it's going to also bring the presence of God and some habits that he desires you to be a part of. And hear, hear this. King Asa was preparing for and was going right around the corner. We'll see next week. He was preparing his people for war. 
He was preparing them for battle. And throughout Scripture in the New Testament, it tells us that when we live in this present world, we are preparing daily for battle. This is not something in the future. This is not a predicted date I'm going to give you. When you leave this place or before you are, you are entering into a spiritual battle and we need to do what is right. We need to do what is good. We need to seek the Lord. And we need to follow His commands. We cannot expect the power of God to change our community if the power of God has not changed our character and our convictions. And we will only be as effective in shaping this community as we are committed to the authority of God's word in our lives. The relationships and the people around us and our communities are waiting and they're watching for sincere, real, genuine, authentic followers of Jesus to be a people of character, people of action, people of compassion, people of pursuing the Lord and following his commands. They're watching and waiting for the church to be the church. And we don't have to look for the next Billy Graham to be the voice. We can look in the mirror and say to ourselves, will I be the one that God has called me to be obedient? Will I be the one in my relationships and my friendships, will I be the one who takes a stand and lives a life totally committed to him? Will we do what is good? Will we do what is right? Will we seek the Lord? Will we follow his commands and his teaching? Let's pray this morning.